Israel is back in the news. As I prepare this podcast, a full-blown war is underway between Israel and Hamas. Turn on your television, open your favorite news feed. You can't miss it, right? Israel is at it. Death hangs in the air. The war, I think we need to call it that, began quietly with training. Over the course of a two-year period, Hamas patiently quietly prepared over 1,000 soldiers, making them ready for the big day. It came in the early dawn hours of Saturday, October 7th, and it came in stages. In the first stage, Hamas fired an incredible 3,000, think about that, 3,000 rockets from the Gaza Strip into Israel, overwhelming Israel's famed dome or anti-missile system. This was followed by an invasion of fighters who scaled Israel's border and barricade by using paragliders. It was their aim, once on Israeli territory, to systematically dismantle the concrete land barrier that stood between the Gaza Strip and Israel, thereby allowing its militants to enter with ease. Once inside, Hamas fighters came against a group of Israelis gathered for a festival known as the Supernova Festival. Fighters began to spray partygoers with machine gun rounds, leaving some 290 dead while kidnapping many others. To be blunt, Israel was caught off guard, stunned. As of today, just a few days later, the death troll has been calculated at 1,200 Israelis with 2,700 wounded. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Who is Hamas and what is this war all about? Does it have any spiritual connotations? Oh, and does it have anything to do with Daniel at all? Because I think it does. I want to use a word today that I believe fits what we're all witnessing in Israel and beyond. What we're witnessing actually in the church today. Now, I'll admit to you that the word might feel a little bit strange, but give me a chance to tie it into our scripture today as we turn back to Daniel chapter 12. The word that I want to set in front of us today is the word purge. I truly believe that what we're witnessing in Israel and beyond is something that Daniel, through the Spirit, prophesied a long time ago, namely the purging of true Israel, the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I'll just share with this with you. One of the things that got me thinking a bit about this, this word is a book that I read some time ago. The title of the book is simply Jerusalem, the Biography. It's written in 2011 by a Jewish man named Simone Montefiore. I'm telling you, if you've never been to Jerusalem or you want to go at some point in the future, it should probably be the future given what's happening there today. But if you want to go or simply learn about Israel's most holy city, please, please read this book. It's voluminous, I'll admit that, but it's worth the read. Simone has done a masterful job of tracing the history of the city and its spiritual roots, looking back to that moment in the fourth century when David occupied Jerusalem. Read the book. I promise you, you'll learn a ton about the city of Jerusalem back then and now. I have to tell you this, in reading Montefiore's book, 
<clears throat> there's one thought that's this kind of stayed with me, and that's the etymology of the city's name, Jerusalem. Do, do you know what that Hebrew word Jerusalem means? Etymologists differ slightly, setting two similar theories before us. One group sees in the name two Hebrew words, one a verb, one a noun. The verb, this group suggests, is yireh. It means he will see, or maybe more properly stated, he will see to it. And the noun, of course, is shalom, peace. Put them together and you have yireh, shalom. He, God, will see to it, his peace. Idiomatically, we would say it this way, that God will see through this city, that we gain or receive his peace. Of course, you cannot hear this and not think of the cross. The peace of God brought to us through Yireh Shalom. Another group posits a little bit different approach to the city's name. This group suggests a proper name and a noun. The proper name suggested, of course, is the name Yahweh. You can kind of hear it. Yireh. Yireh. And the noun the same as the first group, shalom or peace. Put these two together and you get the phrase, Yahweh, shalom. Yahweh is our peace. I kind of like that. Now, for me, what stood out as I read Montefiore's book is the fact that I could not help be, but be struck by the amount of blood spilled on the ground in the land of Israel. Uh, without question, if you, if you ask me today to identify the bloodiest piece of ground on planet earth it wouldn't be the fields of the civil war it wouldn't be hiroshima or nagasaki where atom bombs were once dropped it wouldn't be the beaches of normandy or the killing fields of vietnam no no doubt while much blood was spilled in each of these none come even close to the volume of blood spilled in the countless battles in jerusalem battles that, as we see, continue to this day. So think about the paradox. In Jerusalem, we have a physical place on planet Earth that is meant to point to the shalom, the peace that we can have through Jesus Christ. But there's only way. There's only one way to have or to receive this peace. There must be the spilling of blood, the blood of the cross. I think of it this way because of men's hearts. The spilling of blood had to take place on a hill just outside of Jerusalem's city limits, a hill that today we call Golgotha. And it's through the cross that we have peace. We can also say that it's men's wicked hearts that cannot be missed in the battle that ensues before us on our television screens, the war between Hamas and Israel. So let's go there. What is happening in Israel today? What is Hamas? And why did it send soldiers into Israel to kill so many? Let's start with a little bit of history. I think it's important to know that Hamas is really not all that old an organization. Most historians place the birth of Hamas at 1987. The group, we are told, began as an outgrowth of an older group known as the Islamic Resistance Movement. In fact, that's actually what Hamas means. The name is an acronym for Islamic Resistance Movement. As a Palestinian Islamic state, Hamas exists for one purpose. I want you to hear this, kind of get this in your mind. It is the goal of this organization of Hamas to annihilate Israel 
while at the same time turning the whole of Israel into an Islamic state governed under Sharia law. I'll put that in my own words. If Hamas had their way, there would be no Jews. They would be either converted to Islam or dead. There would be no talk of a Temple Mount. It would simply be the great mosque, the great dome of the rock, and Yahweh's name would be eradicated and replaced with the name Allah. All would live in harmony under Sharia law. That's the goal of Hamas. As such, I find it interesting, that's an understatement, that Hamas actually chose the day that they did to perform this attack. Here's why I say that. For the seven days preceding the attack, Orthodox Israel, about 12% of Israel's population, observed Sukkoth, better known in our Christian circles as the Feast of Sukkoth or the Feast of Booths. Now, two things stand out about that for me. First is the Torah. At the beginning of Sukkoth, the Torah is always read in order to indicate the place of feasts within the culture that God has sought to use in cultivating true Israel. When I say true Israel, I'm talking about those who placed their trust in Yahshua, the Messiah to come. The feasts in the Old Testament established a year-round rhythm that called upon the Israelites to recognize to whom they belonged and for what they were called, namely the cause of bringing the hope of Messiah to other nations. Remember with me Isaiah's words. Isaiah 42 verse 6, we read about Israel. You shall be a light unto the Gentiles. Bring the gospel to the rest of the world. God knew that should Israel begin to be enculturated into the world, they would lose sense of this mission. The festivals then were meant to call Israel back to the one who formed her for himself. Well, guess what? All one must do is look at the makeup of physical Israel today from a spiritual perspective. And it does not take long to realize that physical Israel is not spiritual Israel. While 73.6% of Israel's population does register as Jewish, as much as 78% of these describe themselves based upon Gallup data as either secular, atheist, or religious in name only. Think about that. It leads me to this timing of this attack. Just think about this with me. Orthodox Israel has just finished celebrating Sukkoth. Now here's what we know. Within hours of the close of Sukkoth, this religious festival, thousands of Israelites gathered for the secular celebration of the festival of Nova. You ask, well, what happens at this festival? Is, is it kind of like the biblical Jewish festival? Uh, no, not at all. No, what happens at Nova is singing, dancing, alcohol, drugs, sex. Nova is strictly secular. So put this together with me. It's almost as if Hamas, a people who are ultra committed to Islam, are intent on demonstrating the hypocrisy of Israel. You Jews, you proclaim to be religious. You even have Jewish celebrations. But look at who you really are. Dancing, boozing, and drugging your lives away. Our Allah 
has something to say about that. So they attack right at the conclusion of Sukkoth as the festival of Nova is in full swing. You know what else I think about? Is there some degree of irony or is it intentional that the Hamas armies attack Israel after a festival, Sukkot, that is all about the time that Israel spent in the wilderness? So let me ask you, are you, are you familiar with Sukkot, the festival of the booth? During this festival, participants build, I mean, they literally build small huts to live in out on the streets. The huts, we call them by design booths, are meant to symbolize the makeshift dwellings that Israel lived in during their pilgrimage through the desert and route to the promised land. They're meant to shout a single message. During those times in life when you experience wilderness, that is hard things, God is present. He provides. In fact, in a real sense, Sukkoth represents the reality that our entire life is lived out in the wilderness of this world. We are but strangers here, strangers on the way home. And on the way, God provides. For Hamas and the people of Palestine, their life here on earth for some time has been a time of Sukkoth or a time in the wilderness. They literally see it that way. Since 1997, the United States and much of the European world has designated Hamas a terrorist state, rightly so. As such, the people of Hamas, those who live in the Gaza Strip, 2 point some odd million of them, have been tightly controlled and cut off by Israel. Their food, electricity, water, those things basic for life are under Israeli control. Their movements and the movements of people in or out of Gaza are tightly controlled. The result is that more than half, that is 53.4% of the citizenry in the Gaza Strip live lives well below poverty. Is it possible that the timing of this attack is not in any way random, but is meant to be a message from Hamas? We who live in the wilderness are striking out at you who t pretend to be something that you are not. I don't know, but I do know this. There's nothing random about the attack that Hamas prepared for and executed. Nor is there anything random, nor will there ever be, about Israeli's military response. A response that has already resulted in 1,100 Palestinian deaths and another 5,000 wounded. And I... My dad, it feels like things are just getting started. So let me bring us back up to a 50,000 foot level and ask the question we began with at the outset of our podcast. What does any of this have to do with the book written centuries ago, namely the book of Daniel? Or does Daniel have anything to do with what we see going on in Israel, Palestine today? I ask because I, for one, believe it does. Come back to me where we left off last week. For the last two weeks, we've been exploring the meaning of Jesus' words to Daniel in which he, Jesus, indicates to the prophet that his prophecy would be sealed, not to be read until a later date. Now, we've looked at evidence within the revelation that that later date has arrived. In fact, we've said that it arrived with the arrival of Jesus, his incarnation and birth. It's at this time that Jesus is born that we see, again, based on the revelation, that what God sealed up 
in the time of Daniel was unsealed and read in the heavens. Of course, on earth through John's revelation to the church. Now, the first words to be unsealed have set in front of us the reality of what we've been calling the four horses of the apocalypse or end times. If you've missed the last two podcasts, I invite you to go back and take a look at these. Through them, we've discovered that since the time of Jesus's incarnation, the riding of the four horsemen has signaled to us the reality that Jesus' approach, his return to this world, the resurrection cannot be far away. Simply said, we are living in the last days. Now stay with me. Here's what I want you to notice about our next verse, chapter 12, verse 10. In this verse, I believe that Jesus is addressing the why. He's telling us why he is allowing and sometimes causing what is going on here on earth today. Clue. He doesn't do what he's doing or allow something like we're witnessing in Israel, Gaza, because it feels good. He's not allowing what we are witnessing in Israel because he wants to punish people or because he's sadistic. No, but, and this is a big but, I believe that he's allowing what goes on, what's happening, what we're seeing for the sake of the church. Namely, he's using all of it to call the church to be the church. So let's read the verse, verse 10. Lord, we ask for your direction, guidance, and wisdom. We read, quote, Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. This is the ESV. So let me ask you, what do you, what do you see here? What stands out to you in those words? For me, it is one word. The word is yith bar aru. Follow me here. In the English, the ESV, the first words we read in this verse are, quote, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white. That's the first movement we see in verse 10. Now, in the Hebrew language, the word translated by the ESV as make themselves white is actually yith bar aru. Most literally, this verb, barar, is translated with one word. In context, the word is purge. I want to let that sink in for a moment, because I think it's significant. Purge. What we're being told by Jesus already in the time of Daniel is that in the time frame in which God allows Daniel's prophecy to be opened and read, time frame we're currently in, Events on the world stage will begin to happen. The horses will ride. That will result in a purifying and purging of the church. Furthermore, what Jesus tells us is that when events and activities happen, which purify and purge the church, those who are wicked will not understand them, but those who are wise will. I'm going to put this into my own words based upon scripture's use of the terms wicked and wise. What I believe Jesus is saying here is when you see me purifying and purging, if you're wicked, meaning you're outside of a faith relationship with me, you won't get it. You'll not understand. But on the other hand, if when you see me purifying and purging my church, you have a faith relationship with me, you will get it. You will see my hand at work in it. Here's the way I think about this. I have no doubt that we're living in the last times. I don't think you can observe all that's going on in our world and not see 
all of the four horsemen of the apocalypse riding. As the horses ride, there's a purging that is going on. Jesus wants the church to be the church. He wants the church to be what he's called it to be. He wants us to be his hands and his feet to the world. He wants us to join him in his mission to bring people into faith. Unfortunately, it's easy for the church to lose its mission, even as it did in the days of Daniel's youth. Just as Jesus used the incredibly difficult days of exile in the life of Israel to call his people back to himself and to his mission, to purge his church, so to speak, even so, I believe he's doing in these very last days. When I see the mess going on in Israel and Palestine, the first thing that comes to my mind is the question, God, what are you doing? I mean, there's, there's nothing good about any of what we're watching happen. But there is this. God's using it. I believe that he's using it to call the church back to its true calling. True or spiritual Israel can and should hate what Hamas as a terrorist state is doing. There's nothing good about the kidnapping and killing of little children, their parents, and even the old. We hate it. But in wisdom, that is through Jesus. We also see in Hamas a group of people that are thoroughly stuck in the deception of Islam. While through the kingdom on the left, that is the government, God calls people to bear the sword in defense of life. He also calls us to be a people who spiritually bear the sword of the gospel. That is, to care for the souls of those who are lost. I think this is what gets lost in the news. You'll not hear it on CNN, Fox. You'll not hear it on any outlet. Namely, a a call to actually pray for the souls. Yes, even of those who act as the wicked. The goal of Israel may indeed be retaliation on Hamas for what its terroristic state has done. But the goal of spiritual Israel must always be the very souls of those who have brought harm. Make no mistake about it. God is purging. He is purging the church. That is, he is using what is happening to say, church, will you be my church? Or will you simply get caught up in the politicalness of all that's happening? The church in this time will be purged. God is also, I believe, seeking to purge physical Israel. He's seeking those within physical area, Israel, who just might be people of faith in Jesus. He's calling the church in Israel. Again, according to Gallup, only 1.9% of the population. To raise questions about how it might go about winning the hearts of those who call themselves physical Israel. Add to that, the question of how the church might bring the gospel to those stuck in the deception of Islam. What I'm saying is simply this. Those in our American, European cultures look at what's going on in Israel, Palestine through primarily a secular lens. God does not. He's interested in one thing, the souls of all involved. Those who are wise shall understand. So let me close with two questions. Let's bring this home. Question number one, put this into your own words. If you had to describe using spiritual language how God is using what's happening in Israel, Palestine, to purge his church, what words would you use? By the way, bonus, try it. Try this with a spouse or your kids and see what kind of response you receive. God is purging his church. Number two, I think it's somewhat easy to see God at work purging his church to the events happening in Israel, Palestine. But how about America? 
about Europe. How would you describe how God is at work purging his church here at home? What evidence do you see of God's purging in the American and European church today? Well, that's it uh, for this week. Um, I just, again, I, boy, it's been kind of a, a heavy week to think about all of the, the bloodshed going on. Um, but my, my prayer is that this is, is helpful to you. It's helpful to me to think again about what is God doing in the midst of it all. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Know that I continue to just pray for you and your families. I, I so thank you for praying for myself and for my family. Well, listen, until we meet again next week, have a God-sized week.